With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Everybody and welcome back to the Lookout Landing Podcast. I hope you are all staying safe, staying smart, staying healthy. My name is Matthew Robertson. I'm the host of this show. You can find me on Twitter at mRoberson22. And today we are running it back for another episode of Why I'm a Mariners Fan with a brand new guest who I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, today we have Wesley Robinson, the press secretary for Pennsylvania State Senator Vincent Hughes. Uh, Wesley is formerly of the Washington Post and PennLive.com. But most importantly, for the purposes of today's conversation, Wesley is also a Seattle Mariners fan. So Wesley, how are you doing? And um, my first question will be, how does a person in Pennsylvania follow the Seattle Mariners? <laughs> Well, first off, I'm I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. I really am. I'm grateful to to have this opportunity because uh, I I listen. I can't listen to every single episode just because of my podcast library and things I have to listen to. But I listen to a lot of the conversations, and I I enjoy just kind of like being able to tap in and hear the Mariners um, in Pennsylvania. So um, I I it listen being a Mariners fan in the Eastern Time Zone is probably one of the worst things that happens in my life. Uh, I end up spending about, oh, 40 or so nights a year staying up later than I intend to watching baseball. Um, 
which you know it's good because that's my team and I love them. But it's it's so complicated. And one of the things that's kind of funny is now that I'm a little older and have a steady job and money, like enough money to pay for MLB TV, that makes it a little bit easier. You know, back in the day <laughs> uh, when we first, so I'm I'm from Tacoma, but my family moved to uh, Kentucky in 2000, uh, 2000 and 2000. I think it was 2000 or 2001. I can never remember. But um, so that was, you know, pre-internet. So I would only be able to watch uh, the 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 116 um, season, the 2001-116 season, and then all of the other subsequent seasons whenever they would be on ESPN or Fox Sports or something all the way up until like 2010. So like it's a it's a struggle to be a Mariners fan. You have to work really hard to keep up with the team. I'll tell you I'll tell you that. Yeah, and I feel like specifically for the Mariners, like we Mariners fans don't really need like another challenge or another struggle, you know? So I feel for the people who like can't even watch the games regularly, you know, like you like you have to, you know, you have all of the the things that come with being a Mariners fan, all of the misery, all of the the losing. And then it's also like, oh, this game starts at 10 p.m. my time. I'm not going to be able to watch them. Like, do you have a strategy for watching these games? Do you ever like try to do like coffee at night or like do you have just a, like a way to keep yourself awake and alert or you just kind of let sleep wash over you towards the end of the games? No, I, I'm a person who's always been kind of kind of a night owl and like uh, not good about regulating my sleep. As long as I get like four, four and a half, five hours a night, I'm good. But, you know, so that, that ends up there's really no strategy. It's just like, oh, the Mariners are playing the Angels tonight. I can guarantee Mike Trout's going to hit a couple home runs and that's going <laughs> to make the game close. But I also need to like try and get to sleep at some point. So, I mean, occasionally, like if it's a, if the game's out of hand or if I know I really need to get a lot of sleep, I'll just turn the game on in bed and have no intention of finishing it. And if I do great. And if I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a responsible adult. So I got to go to work the next day. <laughs> right. And falling asleep to the Mariners is kind of a nice, like simple pleasure in life. Because I think for me, a lot of times growing up, I would do that. Like when I was in middle school or high school, I would just fall asleep to the TV, knowing that it, the result didn't totally matter. You know, like the Mariners were bad back then as they've been for most of their history. So just having them on felt comforting. And then if I fell asleep in like the seventh inning, I didn't really care. You know, so I don't know if you have that same feeling where it's like, whatever happens, happens. I'm just here for the entertainment. Like during bad seasons, I feel like I really detach myself from like wins and losses. And it's just nice to have the Mariners, especially this year with all the, the COVID stuff. Like it was just so nice to have them, you know? Well, so during the bad seasons, that's when the games actually end up being the most interesting because you you go to sleep and they're up seven to two, and then you somehow like, how the hell they lose a a, a five run lead in the seventh? Like, what happened? And then you go back and watch, and you're just like, oh, that's the Mariners. Yep, yep, that's what they do. No bullpen, kind of is what it is. But it's actually funny that you mentioned falling to sleep to them because like, what sort of really ingratiated me to or made me like a strong Mariners fan was I grew up like I said in Tacoma so I listened to them on Cairo 710 all the time and uh you know like I might be doing something at home or hanging out or whatever and then you know just take a nap fall asleep to the game or whatever and wake up and the post game show was on and Lou Pinella on the post game show was incredible like his post game interviews were like some of the best because He'd go through like old school baseball and, and I, I miss and 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 talk a lot about the 
you know, what, what his decision making was, why he went to one guy over another, um, you know, the, a, a lot of it was the bullpen guys and there were, there were some culprits and some heroes in the bullpen that he always had to talk about. And it was, it, it was one of those things where I, I really missed that aspect of it. Cause I wake up now after falling asleep and it's just, your game has ended, uh, you know, the MLB TV screen, as opposed to falling asleep and then waking up to more like some more of what we were talking about and more of what just happened. So it's, that's, that's another adjustment that was really difficult um, kind of, shifting away from the radio and and enjoying baseball that way but you know it, it, you got to do what you got to do yeah i know exactly what you mean though it is so abrupt when the game ends now and like sometimes they'll even cut off like the immediate post-game reaction like when it's brad adam and he's like talking about what they're going to talk about in the post-game show like even that'll get cut off and it's one of my bigger like minor like gripes with mlb tv and just streaming in general it's like we want the post game show. I know there's probably a million logistic problems there, but like it's so frustrating when like there's a great game, especially, and like you want to sort of bathe in it, and then it just says the game has ended, and you're like, well, not really. Like I want I want to be part of this whole thing and get like the end credits and everything. So I totally know where you're coming from, and I'm glad you mentioned um, the radio because this week marks the 10 year anniversary of Dave Niehaus's death. So I first of all I was wondering when did you like so when you move out of Washington, were you still able to find radio broadcasts or do it through the internet? Like, did you still have Dave Niehaus even after you left the state of Washington? No, not for the longest. And then by the time I got a consistent way to listen, um, it was kind of like at towards the tail end of his broadcasting career. So it was like, it, that was one of the things like, so, um, when we moved to Kentucky, the Reds, um, are the team in, in, you know, in that region and I listen to Tom Brenneman a lot and he's had his issues lately which is kind of interesting but also not surprising (laughs) given where he's from um and you know I I kind of started to like him as a voice but I've always would say because you know my mom was just like well at least you have something you like and I was like but it's not the same like it doesn't matter how great this guy is it doesn't matter if he's a hall of famer or whatever like or he's the voice of the reds whatever it's like it's just like Ken Griffey Jr. like we saw him in Louisville a couple of times on rehab assignments um whenever he would um whenever he would uh get injured um, we went up to a few games, but it just it just wasn't the same. It really wasn't the same. Yeah, I uh, so I've been in Washington for pretty much my whole life, except for college, which was in San Diego. And I tried like the Padres. I feel like I've always been sort of the Mariners, like National League cousin. So I was like, this won't be too much of a transition. But it was just so weird, like not having the rhythms and like the sounds, especially and like even the little like the scoreboard graphic on the screen is different. Like everything is different in just enough of a way for you to be like, Oh, I wish I was watching the shitty Mariners lose instead of the shitty Padres. And like, for me, there's not even like a, like for the watching the Padres was baseball, obviously. And like, it was nice to have baseball, but I, it made me realize that like the thing that I love is all of the minutia. Like that's kind of not to bring up the COVID season again. Cause so, like it was so depressing and I'm trying to flush a lot of it, but like not having so many of those things made baseball seem so weird this year. Like not having the crowd noise or like little things like that. Or even like when there was a foul ball and like watching the fans scramble for it, like stuff like that really made me aware of how much like non baseball stuff really comprises the baseball experience for me. So I'm sure like with the reds, especially like they were kind of, a nothing team for lack of a better word. And like the Mariners at least 
have like a sentimental value to you, even though they are also kind of nothing. So it's so hard to like replicate the specifics of the baseball team that you love. And I'm sure you've been searching for that for a while, I guess before MLB TV came along. Yeah, they were, that's the thing. Like Seattle was nothing, but that was my nothing. So like, in it being my nothing, like I always, you know, could say like, I love this team. I've loved this team for however many years it was at the time, you know, like it's actually kind of interesting. So like getting into how I became a Mariners fan, uh, my dad was in the military. So I was born in Tacoma. We moved to um, the Presidio and lived on base for three or four years when I was in uh, early elementary school. And then we moved back to Washington and stayed with my grandma for the summer and she lived on Beacon Hill, um, which is like one of those like it's so random because a lot of people like when you leave Washington, people are like, where are you from? And somebody who's been there will say, oh, well, you know, Tacoma and they'll they'll know because SeaTac Airport. But otherwise, like Seattle is the frame of reference for everybody. So I always just like Seattle. And then it's like but I'm like 35, 40 minutes south where I'm from. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I. I was actually watching a um, I had grown up just loving baseball like we my dad because my dad was in the military and was a recruiter. We always had uh, tickets to go see like the A's and the um, the Giants. Um, and like my mom always tells me how much I love Dave Dravecki and like I loved Jose Canseco and like Matt Williams and all those like early late late 80s, early 90s, like Bay Area stars. Um, and then we moved back to Seattle or to back to Washington and was in Seattle and was watching a preseason Seahawks game the the year that they went two and fourteen and Cortez Kennedy was like wreaking havoc in the first quarter and I was like, wow, this guy's really good. And it's like, well, since we're gonna live here, I should maybe be a fan of all of the teams in this area. And like at seven years old, like I made the conscious decision to be a Seattle sports fan. And it was super easy with the Mariner or not the Mariners, the Sonics, because you know, they had Sean Kemp and Gary Payton and like played flashy, exciting basketball. And like, you know, that was like the heart of the Pacific Northwest. And then football is football. So it wasn't too difficult to be a, uh, a Seahawks fan, even though they were terrible, but like the Mariners, that was the thing that was like, wow, this is, this is rough. We got to do this 162 times a year. Um, and you know, you learn lots of little things about it. I think baseball is one of those sports that's so great because the whole, the season, like if you follow an entire season, just one time you fall in love with the sport. Cause there's all kinds of little random, random anecdotes. Like, um, like Chris Basio was born on April 3rd, just like me, like, uh, Jay Buhner was born in Louisville. Um, so that was like a connection. He'd always show up in the courier journal and or local players in major league baseball. And it's like, those little things are the things that kept me engaged in baseball and, and like a fan, you know, even in Seattle or in the Seattle area, but then also beyond, because it's just like, wow, there's so much little stuff that's like that makes baseball what it is. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think you nailed it. Because when you were talking, I was like sitting here nodding, thinking about my own experiences with that. So like for me, I think the the watching the whole season part and like falling in love with the, the things that no one else would notice. For me, that's always like 
the the player on the Mariners that like no one outside of the Northwest has ever heard of. So like the first one ever for me, or one of the first ones ever was like Brian Hunter, who was on like the late nineties teams playing next to Griffey. I just thought he was really cool. And like watching him made me feel like I knew what I was talking about, you know, cause everyone knew Griffey, Edgar, A-Rod, but I was like, Oh, I like Brian Hunter. And people were like, what, who is this child who's like talking to me about Brian Hunter or on the 2001 team? I really liked Paul Abbott and like, I knew he wasn't good, but like his record was like 17 and four or something crazy. Cause mm-hmm. he just had the greatest team of all time behind him. And that for me, like that had me hooked. Like I was so in love with knowing everything about the Mariners and then wanted to learn as much as possible, which kind of led me down the path I'm on today where like I spend most of my time thinking and writing and talking about the Mariners and like not I feel like with other sports it's a little harder to do that as well especially like basketball you know you maybe see 12 to 13 guys all year you know and some of them are like playing two minutes in garbage time and football it's almost too much like there's too many players to learn and then you get injuries and cycle new guys through all the time but with baseball you can like figure out like okay this is the fourth starter so I know that he's not like expected to do much but he's gonna be here every fifth day on my tv I want to like learn about him I want to have like an opinion about him and that's exactly how I think baseball super fans are started like once you get beyond the superstars and you can talk to people about Paul Abbott or Jose Peniagua or whatever that's when you're hooked (laughs) forever and like those all those random bullpen guys are now like taking up useful parts of my brain that should go to other things but instead it's just random names that are like not relevant to anything whatsoever well do you do you listen to the dan lebitard show with stugatz occasionally yeah not very often but i've heard it well so they always get into like 90s baseball and like baseball like in general does do that but like 90s baseball even if it's like late 90s baseball there's something about it where it's like random names and random players like you know, like Russ Davis, like, why am I thinking about Russ Davis in 2020? But like, that's just kind of the way it works, right? Like, it's just guys who played like, in your childhood, and then played in that era where baseball was still kind of like king, like they they just matter differently. 100%. Yeah, I'm gonna remember Charles Gibson for the rest of my life. And he wasn't very good. <laughs> he was just on a good team. And got to my favorite thing about him was he got to he was a defensive replacement a lot of the time. So like all of his highlights are just him like going all out for balls in the gap and just like throwing his body around. And it was so cool because like I think he knew like this is my only opportunity to play. And like, you know, like you said, Lou Pinella, Mm -hmm. classic old school guy, like the quickest Mm -hmm. way to his heart, I feel like would just be hustle, you know, diving for everything, taking the extra base. And that's exactly what Charles Gibson did. So now I'm like. Even as we're talking, like in this exact moment, I'm racking my brain for all of my favorite Charles Gibson memories. And he is a perfect example of someone that like the rest of the country has never given one ounce of thought to. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned him because like I, I do remember his career, but then it's also like his name has a P in it. And that's so strange. And that's a yeah, bad. That's, that's also Yeah. Yeah, that's also a very baseball thing. It's like you remember people because it's like someone just has a different or a weird or an odd name or nickname. Like Chili Davis was like probably like one of the most overrated baseball players in my life. Not to say that he wasn't great or very good, but like he was also just kind of cool because his name was Chili, you know? Yeah, the Coco Crisp effect kind of the same thing. (laughs) Yes, yes. 
which didn't work <laughs> for Milton Bradley. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I try to think as little about Milton Bradley as possible and as much about Charles Gibson. Fair. Very fair. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to go back to the beginning. You've mentioned that you grew up in Tacoma and you've had a couple moves, but specific to the Mariners, like I'm guessing this is early Griffey, but before they're actually good. So like, what are your first memories of actually watching the Mariners? And you can be as specific as possible because this is the exact audience for it. So like when you decided at seven years old that you were going to be a Mariners fan, who were the guys like outside of Griffey and Randy Johnson, I guess, who were the ones that you like sort of latched onto? So I don't know that I really latched onto any players, particularly in the 92 season. Like, I mean, I, I definitely, um, I don't know. I like, and I remember all of those guys and remember all of the players. Um, but I think it was really like later on, like 93, 94, when it really started to click, when it just became, when it became more than like, I'm a boy, I like sports. I should like this team and I should like these players. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific guy like Dave Valley, like uh, Dave Valley is like one of my earlier like memories of like, this is Mariner baseball or like Harold Reynolds. Like I remember them, but it really wasn't until like the 94 season that I like became like a super, super fan. Um, And it wasn't because they were good. It was just like, I was like really, really invested. And I think I started to understand who the players were and like why they weren't good and like what sorts of moves they needed to make to be a better team. Um, and I, I think again, like the, the, uh, the, the, like guys, like, like those little anecdotes of Chris Basio, like April, he was born on April 3rd too. Like, that's really cool. Like, and that's, that's my, that's, those are the sorts of things I started to pick up. Um, I think part of, of what sort of turned me into like the sort of fan that I am. So as I want to make clear that like as, as a Mariners fan, I'm probably like one of the only people who actually likes Alex Rodriguez um, because I Uh sort of started to understand like how the team worked. Um, You know, like my early memories of Seattle Mariners baseball are Omar Vizquel at shortstop. And, you know, like, I, I I remember asking my dad, like, well, how come little O's not coming back? And then he tried to explain it to me and it just didn't work. Um, it, like it didn't it didn't comprehend like I couldn't comprehend it. And like I think the the turnover and like then once the team stopped turning over as much, like that's sort of what made me a fan like what like really connected with me because it's like they've been searching and searching and searching um one of my uncles a great uncle um actually he died last year um he was a he worked as a janitor for um cairo radio for like six fifty years or something like that like he worked for him for a very very long time and he was a huge fan he used to always go to games and always get tickets and stuff and we would like up and up until like when he died like we would always be able to talk baseball and talk about the mariners and he was kind of the first person who kind of explained to me like this team is not very good like this is what you're getting yourself into they've never really been worth a damn but you know i've liked them for a long time i've watched them for a long time it's it's something to do it's entertaining 
Um, and then I think once it kind of became like a more of a stable team, 93, 94, 95, like, and it started to take shape around that core, um, you know, it, the, the, that's, that's what, that's when I became a fan. So like, I can say, well, I remember Bobby Ayala blowing saves or Tino Martinez making picks at first base or whatever, um, or just the greatness of Griffey, you know, Mike Blowers coming back from Oakland, uh, or wait, did he come back from Oakland at that point? Or was that from New York? Well, whatever the case, Mike, Mike Blowers coming on the team and making an impact. Like that's the sort of stuff that really made me a fan was just like seeing it all come together after hearing about how terrible this team was over and over and over again. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, too, because I'm looking at the 92 roster now. Like, while you were talking, I pulled it up. And this team should have been way better than they were. Like, on paper, they look like they have, I guess, by name recognition, like, every member of the starting lineup is someone that a Mariner fan would recognize. Like, there's Valley, there's Tino Martinez, Harold Reynolds is still there, Vizquel, Edgar was still playing third, and you have Griffey and Buner. Kevin Mitchell was on the team, which mm-hmm. I actually didn't know Kevin Mitchell ever played mm-hmm. for the Mariners. Um, and then you have young Brett Boone on the bench. He didn't play very much, but Blowers was there too. Like this should have been a pretty good team. And I feel like at least from a personality standpoint, you have a nice sort of introduction to them because like Griffey is obviously a, something completely unto himself. But then like Omar Vizquel just making the plays that he was and Randy Johnson being at that point, I believe the tallest baseball player ever. Like there's a lot of cool stuff for a child to latch onto. So even if you didn't like have one guy specifically, I feel like you had a pretty good introduction, but uh, actual question I wanted to ask was, so I guess here, let me back up. When I was introduced to the Mariners, they were good. Like I was born in 95 so then when i'm a really small child there in the playoffs and then like in 2001 i'm old enough to like actually understand what's happening so i'm completely enraptured like i'm obsessed with the mariners and i wonder mm-hmm. a lot if they hadn't been good if i would have dove head first into the team the way i did so do you ever think mm-hmm. about like if the mariners had been a juggernaut when you first started paying attention how that might have like shaped your relationship to them because i feel like you know if you're a yankees fan or a cardinals fan your relationship to baseball is much different like i feel like it's harder to be romantic when you have expectations every year and like you know for yankees fans like losing in the first round of the playoffs is a huge disappointment whereas the mariners like that is literally the goal right now yeah so yeah, like, yeah, do, yeah. Do you, have you ever thought about that like how things would have been different if you had just been born a couple of years later and like the 95 to 97 run is your introduction yeah, so that's a that's a that's an interesting question. I think my personality is kind of somebody who like nerds out on stuff. So like whatever it is that I like, like I gotta go full in. Um, a- as an example, like there's a my my favorite band going right now. Like I learned about them on a anime I watched, and then like I just dove into their entire catalog, and like it's just one of those things that just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so on some level, I think I probably would have still been a fan, but. Um, that actually, so I'm of the age where everyone is like a super Mariners fan because of cool, like Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, that whole team. But I'm also of the age where like that was my first experience into winning with Seattle because that was even before the Sonics made the finals um, and the Seahawks ever did anything. So like to me, and I, I say this to people and like, 
some some people get it, some don't. Like the '95 season still means more to me than the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl. Like that was such a that was such an incredibly seminal moment. Like, um, and to to put into perspective, like if you were so you were born in 95 like the the mariners used to have this program the junior mariners i don't know if they did that when you were a kid did they i'm not aware of it no they might have been doing it but i i never heard about it so it was like this partnership with mcdonald's and like you could like families could get tickets for like five games or something like that for like 70 dollars per person and like they weren't the best seats um but like you'd get like an outfield reserve seat um, like a hot dog, um, and a soda, uh, and like, you know, five or seven games or something like that. And then options to buy tickets every now and then it was like a great marketing way to get people to games. Um, we did it with our church, uh, where we would bring kids and like kind of something to do, spend the day in Seattle, spend in without spending a, a, a ton of money. Um, and one of the one of the perks at the end of the 95 season and there's my dad has them somewhere in his house. He lives in Olympia still um, is uh, they gave us these like commemorative uh, uh, audio tapes of and it's like Dave Niehaus, you know, walking you through narrating everything. So it's like like turning point, big games that mattered, how the season started, the playoff run, you know. Even like junior uh, scoring, uh, Randy Johnson not being able to deliver like and it's it's like that's so etched into my mind. I I honestly cannot detach my fandom from that because like, you know, I was 10 when that happened. And like so much of like my like so much of my memory becomes clear at, at like 10, 11 years old. So like. It's really hard to say, but that's a good question. I think on some level I still would be that big of a fan, but you know, as I've gotten older and it's like after losing the Sonics and kind of being detached from the, the, the Mariners and Seahawks, um, like I'm largely as much a fan of individuals as I am franchises. So, you know, like there are certain players I love to watch certain players that are, um, that are uh, appointment viewing for me. But for the most part, like the Mariners are like that one franchise where it's like, I, I like baseball, but like, I don't watch it. I generally don't watch it if it's not like playoffs or the Mariners. So I, I, I really wish I could give you a better answer, but I can't. No, I get it. I mean, there's no, like, it's very hard to, to talk about like your own experience that you've lived in for so long with like that, retrospective view on it because it is hard to pinpoint for sure like i think everyone who's like this invested in the mariners and this is pretty specific to the mariners as well because i think with so much of the losing it all blends together like it feels like we all just kind of woke up one day and we're like oh yeah okay like (laughs) this is life now like i feel like it really is sort of born into you if you're from this area like knowing that the mariners are gonna be on every day from march to september and you don't really have to pay attention but sometimes they do something cool and like the sad part about it is or i guess maybe the the bleak part of it is is at the end of the day it never really matters so that kind of goes both ways where it's like you can 
be fully invested without having to like worry about getting hurt but also like if you want to just check out for a week it's really easy to do that too so to me that's the beauty of the mlb tv era like you said if there's a pitcher who i really like who i know is pitching that day i'll be like okay i'm gonna watch that instead of the mariners today and then if the next day there's like a really good matchup or like if i want to watch you know mike trout against a picture that I like then I'll watch that instead and like it's easy to sort of come in and out of it for me while still keeping like loose connections to the Mariners like there's never a point where I like completely stop obviously um, but I've definitely gone stretches without really paying attention to the Mariners and I feel like that's the healthiest way to do it too because of the nature of baseball and like watching 162 games of teams that the Mariners have had is probably not the best for anyone's mental health <laughs> No, that's that's very true. I mean, it, I think the most stressed I've ever been as a Mariners fan is after 2001 and not really being able to watch them every day, but having to argue like why a team that didn't win the World Series after winning the most games in American League history is still good. And then them winning 93 games two years in a row and not making the playoffs like that was one of those things that was like so super stressful because it's like for all intents and purposes, like that's a team that should be good. That's a team that should make a, make a noise, make, make noise, make a difference, be impactful in the league. And then they're not. And then you're reminded like, Oh, well it is the Seattle Mariners. So that is what it is. (laughs) We have pretty um, parallel experiences here, but just from different times. So like for me, that exact feeling that you described was, 2014 to 2016 so like the first year with Cano where they end up missing the playoffs by one game and then 2015 they get Nelson Cruz and I'm like okay surely this team will make the playoffs like they expanded the playoffs too. everything was lined up for the Mariners and I was stressing over it like that was when I was in college too so I would like make time out of my college schedule to try to watch the Mariners which is very foolish on the surface and then I didn't get any payback for it because they continued to miss the playoffs and the American league was so wide open at that point too. Like there really wasn't like a super team, like the Royals kept winning the AL and they were just like scoring three runs a game and like stealing bases. Like every time I watched the Royals in the playoffs, I was like the Mariners are maybe like equally good on paper as this team. It was so frustrating and I would get really stressed out about it. And then the end of 2016 was the same thing where they were still in it and you knew like, well, this team isn't great, but I would love to just see them in a wild card game. Like that would really validate this whole experience for me. Mm-hmm. And even that didn't happen. And I was just like, so that was really like a, a turning point for me where I had to like reevaluate how much I wanted to do this year in and year out, especially every single day. And it kind of led me to this point I'm at now where I'm able to sort of separate. But those two, I guess three years, 14, 15 and 16 was when I was the most like invested in the everyday happenings of the Mariners and um there was fun points obviously like you got Fernando Rodney was in there and like some stuff that I did enjoy but I think at the end of the day like if I had been more wizened I probably wouldn't have like fretted too hard about Brad Miller or Dustin Ackley or whoever you want to throw in there oh yeah no I definitely was like yeah I was like eh, whatever like I I as that was happening it's like I'm gonna keep watching but I know how this story is going to end and I'm not going to let it get to me because this is this is like peak Seattle Mariner. Like right. it, it just oh, oh, it's so. But I think what you what you hit on specifically about kind of like the college thing and like what trying to work your schedule around it. So 
I I I would say I think of I think of the Pacific Northwest as like this place that people just don't really understand. They've like cuz there's not a lot of reason to go up that way. There yeah. isn't a lot happening that like is going to make it, that that people are going to care about west of the Rockies. So like I one of the things that sort of kept me in interested in the Mariners and like made me almost double down was like I'm so detached from home. Like I don't really have any connection, any ways to connect to people. Mind you, like this was like early like mass internet days. Like we had AIM or or Yahoo chat or whatever, but like we didn't have like the ability to video chat and voice chat for free like we do now. So like, you know, if I wanted to call my friends, like that was like ten bucks. And it's like, you know, my parents had split at that point. So it's like ten bucks to call your friend or you just, you know, go play solitaire by yourself on the computer or, you know, (laughs) hang out with your brother or sister. Like that's what they're here for. Um, So like a lot of that, uh, like for me, that the team became a lot of my identity at that point, you know, like I started like wearing baseball hats and Mariners hats all the time. And I had like, at one point I had like 50 something different Mariners hats, like several of the standard, like blue, with the um, with the with the the logo, but then like you know just different variations of wear with different outfits, so people would know like that. No, that's my team. That's where I'm from. Because if you can imagine, like as 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 we were moving from Washington to Kentucky, we're telling people, I'm telling people, yeah, like this is what I think is going to happen, and blah blah blah. And they're like, well, why would you move to Kentucky? They don't wear shoes there, and they're stupid people. Blah blah blah. And it's you know high schoolers' minds. That's the way high schoolers think. Um, yeah. And then when I moved to Kentucky, they're like, well, do you like ski and snowboard? And I'm like, oh, geez. Like, are there <laughs> black people? The, the, the other thing was like, are there black people there? And I'm like, well, yes, there are. Like, it's it's the very, well, then why do you talk like this? Or why do you like baseball? And it's just like, right. Oh, you know, so it's like at it, it, me, like being like rebellious teenager like i kind of doubled down on that and then when i got to college and was around people who kind of you know i I actually started a group on facebook i went to the university of kentucky um and started a group on facebook for washingtonians and like was always like searching searching out people and like um i was there when uh ryan streeby was there um he played first base uh, i think most his the last stop i think he was drafted by the tigers but he's from um Oh, he's not from Edmonds. He's not from. Where's he from? He's from like the Seattle area. Um, and like, you know, had a little bit of a friendship with him through that. And, you know, I was there when James Paxson was in college. So like I knew he was good. But then when he gets when he gets to the majors, they change his arm slot and he's able to throw 99. I'm like, well, where was that when he was in college? You know, <laughs> um, so it was like it's it, it's. I, I think that that's also why it's really hard to detach like being a fan from like when I would have been there because like the like I've moved around enough to where like I don't really think of anywhere as home anymore. Like when I go to Louisville to my mom's like that's her house. That's where we use is what we use as a home base. But I really have effectively lived there for like a few weeks after high school, then go went to college. And then whenever I come back or, you know, spend, uh, spend time there. So it's, uh, 
like I, I think the Mariners are like the most home thing for me. Like it, it that sounds really weird to say and think about, but like as a even as a family, like my parents are divorced, my family is kind of like functionally dysfunctional. And like, but we can all go to a game together. Like if, if we were all in Seattle during the summer, like we would sit down all five of us and just hang out and watch a game. Cause that's just like the one thing that we can do that like seems to bring peace. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I get, I get why you kind of have that relationship and I get why you kind of have to work yourself out of it because it does end up being like, like a, like a, like a serious investment. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I do love baseball. Like, I grew up playing baseball and was, mm-hmm. like, you know, for a fairly long time. Like, I was, like, playing travel ball and all that. And I was, like, I love the sport. So, like, that's the other thing is if I start thinking too hard about baseball, I go down all these, like, like I'll try to coach from my couch and all that. And I'm, like, I remember, like – watching Dylan Moore once like swing at like a 92 mile an hour fastball right down the middle and miss it. And I said to no one, I was by myself, like if he can't hit that, he's never going to hit. And turns out I was very wrong. Like as I'm often am, but like I have these little opinions that come from playing baseball as a child that I think have carried over to now, which also kind of makes my mind a frustrating place to be. Um, But in your last answer, you said a lot that I totally resonate with. Like my parents were also divorced. So like, I remember when I was in high school, when I got a car, um, I grew up in Sammamish and my dad worked in Seattle. So he would have tickets. He actually like splits season tickets with a friend. So like mm-hmm. there were a lot of times where he would text me and be like, Hey, I got tickets tonight. Like drive out to the city meet me at my office and we'll go to the game. And that made me feel like very grown up at the time, you know, like being 16, driving my car into the, to the big city and like meeting my dad and walking to the stadium. Like that felt very cool. And then at my mom's house, when she got remarried, like that was something that me, her, my sisters and my stepdad would do all the time was just watch the games from home. Like we probably had the Mariners on every single night, which is just back to that, like comfort thing mm-hmm. again. And the being in college, I was wearing so much teal. I didn't have 50 Mariners hats <laughs> like you, but I was big on, cause I couldn't afford a Jersey. Right. So I was big on the t-shirt Jersey or the Jersey. So I would wear those all the time. I had a Felix one. I had the Robinson Cano one. I had a Willie Bloomquist one that I got, uh, like <laughs> asked Willie Bloomquist. I got it like at a Mariners team store because you can't get those anywhere else. And I remember when I saw it, I was like, this is so funny. I have to buy it because also it's like 
uh, if you know, you know situations. Like wearing that around San Diego, if someone Mm -hmm. like saw it and mentioned it, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you you immediately get where I'm coming from. Like we have this shared connection. And the Mariners are definitely something that to me feels more home than anything else. Like being at the stadium is probably my favorite place to be in the entire world. And that was the other really hard part about this season for me because now I live in the city like it would take me 20 minutes to get to the stadium and not being able to do that but knowing that there were games happening there was Mm -hmm. a very very maddening experience like all i wanted to do was go watch the games even though like i'm not saying they should have let fans in obviously like they made the right decision but it was just very strange knowing that there were games happening at safeco field or excuse me t-mobile park and that i was not allowed to go there yeah, so um, th- that's actually funny. Yeah, because like I I've been calling it Safeco all year, and it's it's people are like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh yeah, that's right, they changed the name. And funny enough, like I don't I I know how we pulled this. My uncle, my uncle was a journalist for a long time and always had connections to, you know, the local local papers, and he ended up getting us tickets like to the opening series at Safeco Field. So like. Yeah, I think it was like right after the All-Star game that it opened or something like that. I just remember being there and like they were playing the Padres, I'm pretty sure. Um, And it was like such a surreal experience, like being in that new ballpark after the Kingdome for all of those years. Yeah, I had a giant poster of like it was a picture from the very first game. And it was the Padres, I remember, because I like Mm -hmm. in the photo, you can like see the scoreboard and it had the Padres lineup. And I had that memorized at one point for absolutely no reason. But like I can still remember some of those names, like Eric Owens was a Padres outfielder at the time. Mm -hmm. He was on that team. And I also just thought it was funny that their their first game in the new stadium was against a National League team. Like I just think I remember thinking as a kid, like, oh, that's weird. And like now as an adult, I'm like, that is weird. Like that is very Mariners that they opened their brand new stadium, not against like the angels or the A's, but against the San Diego Padres. Well, I'm sure you've seen like the Dorktown six part special on the Mariners, right? Of course. Yes. I have. Yeah. Like that's like everyone, like I don't, I'm, I'm not like in the internet culture like I used to be. So I hadn't heard of it. And like literally everybody who knows me that knows me as a Mariners fan is like, you have to watch this. Like I had 20 people recommend this to me and I'm like, so the marketing worked because people know I'm a Mariners fan, but also like I probably need to kind of get back into being a more vocal Mariners fan so people understand that like so so that I'm in like those sorts of conversations and get like get that information as it happens because you know I I don't I didn't know anything about it and that whole that whole special is just like that whole series or whatever you want to call it is basically like. None of this makes sense, but it also makes all the sense in the world because it's the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. That's that should have been the tagline. We should send that to them. I'll get my Vox Media connections on the phone and see if I can wriggle my way in there. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up as well, it's on my mind, is like the Safeco Field T-Mobile thing is also very, very Mariners. Like obviously, it is where the Mariners play, but like the fact that. Um, People are like, what are you talking about? It's called T-Mobile Park is very funny to me because like that shows that Safeco Field is not like a national name. You know, like if they change the name of like Wrigley Field, everyone would be like, oh, my God, that's huge news. But for Mariners fans, like it was huge news when they changed the name from Safeco Field to T-Mobile because that was like such a part of our lives. Just saying Safeco, Safeco Field. Some people even call it like the safe, which I'm not a fan of, but that's not important. And when it got changed, that was like a seismic shift. And then for you to like 
bring up Safeco and people are like, what are you talking about? I don't know what that is. Is such a reminder that like, oh yeah, the Mariners are kind of a blip on most people's radar. It's not just that though. Like, so one of the, like in, when I was in high school, I used to like make little bets with people on sports all the time. Um, like, and watching a whole bunch of West Coast sports, like you kind of have an idea of who's better. So in the the 2001 year, Washington played Miami in Washington, University of Washington, and uh, they won, what was it, 38-17 or 38-21 or something like that. And I made so much money because everybody's like, oh, the U is going to kill them. And I was like, have you guys <laughs> seen Washington play? Like they're, they're, they're a much better team. Um, and that was like, like just in general, like people don't, like the first once you get out east like it's it you start to realize like how little the west coast actually matters and like the west coast is literally boiled down to los angeles like that's literally the only thing people think about the west coast so like it's it's uh it's just it's so weird it's it's such a weird like different way of viewing the world absolutely yeah and that comes up too like when in like that Dorktown thing or like sometimes I'll just like be listening to a sports podcast or some sort of sports media where they're talking about Griffey specifically. And like for a lot of people, that was like truly the introduction to Seattle. Like most people think of Seattle as like a myth, like not mythical, but like they don't have any sort of grounds for it. Like it's not based in reality. Like they don't know where it is. They don't know anything about Washington state. They just knew that that's where the Mariners were. And that's where Ken Griffey played. And they had cool like teal uniforms and played in like a dome. And that's what everyone thought Seattle was. And then now like to realize that Seattle is like a major player in like tech and all that. And like, it's an mm-hmm. up and coming city is so funny because like only 25 years ago, it was, I don't know anything about it, but I know Ken Griffey's there. And like, now I think, I guess there's kids who probably feel that way about Russell Wilson, but it's not like a national thing the way that Griffey was like, cause Griffey had everything. I mean, he was like probably the most marketable athlete of that time outside of Jordan, I guess. Oh yeah. He was cool. Like as much as I, as much as Russell Wilson is good at like sports, like I spend a good amount of time making fun of him on, on social media. Cause he's, yeah, he's, he's not, not cool. He's not <laughs> cool, but I actually, I like that. He's not cool. And I like that. He embraces the fact that he's not cool. Which yeah, kind it's a good of quarterback makes him cool. trait as well. Yes, it makes me like happy that he's on our team. Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, I wanted to end on a semi-real note. You can be as serious or as silly as you want with this, but uh, when I had Dave Sims on the show, I asked him um, about being a black man who loves baseball and mm-hmm. the reaction that he'll get when he mentions that, like when he introduces himself to people and tells them, oh, I'm a play-by-play man for the Seattle Mariners. He mentioned that sometimes he gets quizzical looks. You know, the the implication is like, oh, I would have expected you to be working in basketball or football or a more traditionally black sport. So with you not only being detached from Seattle, but being a black man who loves the Mariners, I'm sure you just get a bunch of crazy reactions when you tell like strangers or acquaintances how much you care about the Mariners. Um, is that in line with your experience? Like, is it something that you bring up and get like a lot of sort of puzzlement? So because I rarely ever get to Seattle, I've, I've been back to the Pacific Northwest, I think seven times in 20 years or 21 years or however how long it's been. I can't, I really can't keep track. Um, I'm always going to road games and I'm not a Jersey person. 
uh, just because like I've been burned by buying jerseys. Last jersey I think I bought was uh, Daryl Jackson, uh, oh. receiver for the Seahawks, and then like I had to buy. No, no, I bought Daryl Jackson. Then I bought Dion Branch, and then both of them were gone like within a year. And I was just like, okay, this isn't a good investment. Um, so I'm gonna stop doing that. Um, so like I'm always like hat, shirt, jacket, uh, sweatshirt, whatever. Like, and I like. I always end up talking to like the know-it-all fans um, and it all, it all depends on like, it really all depends on like how, hmm. it all depends on how that person perceives like the first response to, yes, I like baseball. Um, so I was with, uh, my sister went to school in Chicago and I took her, me and my mom took her up to school um, this would have been with that 2011 and we went to a white Sox game afterwards and you know i was talking to my mom about something and i was like i can't believe such and such happened and this guy behind us piped in and was like well this is why and i was just like okay sir i i know why this happened i just like i was kind of more talking like a to my mother and like in a non like baseball fan way but if we want to go down this path and like we spent 20 minutes like going back and forth before like i pulled a couple names out of my head about like players who used to be um um uh mariners killers for the white Sox, and then he finally acknowledged that like oh you actually know what you're talking about um and it was like a weird experience because my mom like i wasn't i wasn't i was just thinking he was talking baseball and my mom was like I can't believe that guy like tried to like call your knowledge on this. He's like, and I was like, I thought he was just, you know, having a conversation. She's like, no, like there was a point at which it was clear. You knew what you were talking about. And there was a, um, another uh, sitting in front of us was, um, uh, a woman and her boyfriend, I think. And I guess she had went to college with Sean Kelly uh, so she was there, like, she didn't know anything about baseball, but she was just there to support her college friend and like, you know, hang out with him afterwards. And she was just like, yeah, no, that guy was definitely racist. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't even think about it. Like my natural default is to kind of like, I, I assume people are going to kind of question that sort of thing. Um, because I mean, it's true. You look at the demographics of people playing baseball and that's, that's sort of reflected in the fans. But I think I spent a lot of time with my uncles um, who really love baseball. And I've always been around a lot of older people who love baseball. And, you know, and I grew up playing too. Um, like I wasn't that good. So I stopped playing after high school um, or in high school. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think it's, hmm. It's a tough thing, and I, I, I appreciated when you asked Dave Sims that um, because, you know, I, I, I always, like, he's not my favorite, um, but I recognize some of that is he's following up, like, a legend, and there's going to be some pushback to that. But I always see people talking about his performance, and it's like, well, he's not that bad. He's not Dave Niehaus, but he's not that bad. And, and it's like you can't help but detach – you can't help but, like, recognize that that's what's happening in some cases. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it, – I'm kind of rambling at this point. But I think 
I, I definitely get that a lot. And I definitely have to explain like, no, I really like baseball. I've liked baseball since I was a little kid, even before I became a Mariners fan. I still like it. It's not even that the game is too slow. Like, I just don't think the game is doing its best to evolve. Um, and, you know, like, uh, I, I've, I've heard a bunch of Tim Anderson interviews and it's like, man, like that guy should be the future of baseball or even Mike Trout. Like Mike Trout seems like he enjoys the game and has fun and has no problem with like the unwritten rules being broken and whatnot. Um, but like the, like it's such a conservative, like kind of old school way of thinking about things that like just really turns people off. And I hope that like, I hope that if I ever have kids, like I can share that love of baseball with them. But, you know, it's it's just so hard when the game and people around the game don't seem to want us in it. You know, I don't know if you experience that at all or if you think that like or how you experience it. Yeah, I think the main problem is and this is why representation is so important is like you have there thousands of black kids across this country who grow up like they're you know they're a young kid and they decide that they like baseball they play little league or whatever and they enjoy it and then they turn on their local team and don't see any black people that's a huge problem meanwhile you know you could do the same thing for your local nba or nfl team it's like okay here's here's my people like and then if you're a kid the thought that's going to logically follow is that's the sport that i'm supposed to play mm-hmm. so i completely agree with you there's no issue with the game of baseball. I've always said, if you like baseball, you like baseball. You don't need to change the fabric of the game. The problem is making sure that these kids who like it at a young age don't have that beaten out of them by, you know, old white dudes who are upset about bat flips and chains or Tony La Russa getting hired and things like that. Like there's so <laughs> many problems that are because of baseball and like specifically because of major league baseball the business and Mm -hmm. not the actual game at all so i agree with you like every every time i listen to tim anderson or mookie betts or francisco lindor marcus stroman anyone who like clearly still has that joy and it hasn't left them they're the ones who need to be carrying the torch because i think a lot of these white superstars and it's not even necessarily their fault really but that's what they think they're supposed to do like they think that not showing Mm -hmm. any personality or like sticking up for their teammates after someone on the other team hits a home run. They think that's their job. And that's what leads to all these annoying conversations about doing things the right way. So if we can get like a task force of those guys I mentioned and like Tatis and what really would help would be a manager. Also a manager who's like, I want my players to flip their bats or like, we're here to have fun. That would be huge as well. But I don't know if that'll ever happen. Well, and Um, it's, I, I I was going to say, like you mentioned manager. So like when I was in, like after when, like I went to school initially just kind of not knowing what I wanted to do. And uh, when I started getting into journalism, like that was like, oh, I w- like, do I want to be a sports writer? And part of the reason why, like, I balked at being a baseball writer and like never really kind of followed through with it is because like, it doesn't like, like you said, it doesn't seem like people are are really welcome or there's not that representation. But then also, I think if I wouldn't have gone maybe the sports writer route, like, how do you get into um, like front office work or operations work? And like, you don't see 
people of color in those positions either. Or if they are, it's like a former player rather than like there's there's no there's no um, um, there's no Jerry Depoto or Bill Bavese or Jack Zarensic, um as a black man, right? Like there 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 isn't someone who just likes the game and maybe has like an analytics approach or just a management management and understanding of the game approach that you can really point to other than Kenny Williams um, that I can think of in my lifetime. And he's actually a very interesting guy. I met him at a hotel like 10, 12 years ago and talk and, and had a good laugh about how they fleeced us with uh, the Miguel Olivo trade. Um, (laughs) And he was like, what do you mean? Just like laughing, you know? And he's, I'm like, you knew exactly like you knew that wasn't going to work out for us and you knew it would work out for you. And he's like, well, I mean, I'm good at my job, (laughs) but like that's, (laughs) those are, those are the sorts of things where, you know, I like, I'm a, I'm they baseball's probably still my favorite sport, but like that the NBA is my favorite league. And part of the reason why the NBA is such a great league to me is because black people are represented at every level. Um, It could be better. Yes, but we're represented at every level. And it's like, even though it's kind of stereotypical to expect us to be there, like when it, when it's manifested in the front office and other places, like that's a good feeling. That's a good thing that you want to see. And you can see like a change and a a sea change and a concerted effort to making a difference. Whereas with baseball, like baseball just feels like it's okay with it being the way it is. You know, I read a lot of Howard Bryant and Howard Bryant is like one of the biggest baseball fans and, and tennis fans too. Like if you're ever, if you ever want to know what's happening during a major and just pop in like, go follow his Twitter feed. Um, and it's like, you see people, you see people reacting to him talking about tennis. Like he doesn't know anything. And then it's like, this guy is like really, really good and understands what's happening. And it's the same sort of thing. And and like, I just hope that one day it can, and one day soon, like some people actually take the steps necessary to, make the game what it is um you know i've had interesting experience journalistically like um there's a a a book about the negro leagues illustrated by kadir nelson he did a he did the cover for um he did a recent cover for was it vanity fair i think it was vanity fair um after um the george floyd um stuff and like he's a great illustrator and i talked to him about the sport and like went to the louisville slugger museum and interviewed like negro league players and like their president and it was like such a great experience and it's like why is that so detached from actual major league baseball not like right. you know they're in the hall like they've let the players in the hall of fame and recognize them but why is the black perspective so outsider like why can't that be a part of a larger game and a larger narrative and a larger construct. So yeah, like I hope it happens. I think too, my last thought on this is that they need, if baseball is really going to like progress at all, they also need to allow 
black people and Latino people, people of color at large, they need to allow them to fail. Like it shouldn't be like Dave Stewart, the former A's pitcher. He mm-hmm. was a general manager for the Diamondbacks for two years and no one remembers it because he got fired and then you never heard from him again. And it's mm-hmm. like if he was qualified enough to be a GM, he probably should have gotten other interviews. And obviously I'm not well versed in the Diamondbacks. I don't know if he actually was just a terrible general manager. But like if you're a general manager, you would think you would have at least another interview or you would hear more about him popping up instead he just disappeared and if i'm totally wrong if he just quit on his own or if he wanted out of baseball that's a whole other thing but like so another example of this is like you well you said about the nba is exactly how i feel too i think they are by far the best sports league going right now um and when the raptors won in 2019 their gm masai ujiri got a lot of credit for it as he should have mm-hmm. and like he is from africa and like the the baseball equivalent of that would probably be like a general manager from the dominican republic or puerto rico and like as far as i know we've had zero of those and it's like that is so crazy to me when you look at the demographic of the sport and how many players would probably want to play for a latin gm like how has that not happened already and that's the thing i'm saying where like you need to allow them to fail like i think you know ron washington did cocaine which is bad don't do cocaine but he didn't get a manager job ever again meanwhile tony larusa is like 95 years old off a dui getting a really really good job that any manager would want and like that is Mm -hmm. exactly what the problem is Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and and to tie up the Dave Stewart loop, I think he is back working with the A's. I remember hearing him um, doing some work with the team kind of in the response to the virus and then also social justice. I don't know what his capacity is, but that's that's also Oakland, right? Like that's a place like with the Raiders yeah. where they they, you know, Al Davis hired black coaches before anybody else. And like it's a it's the blackest part of like Northern California. So like people are there's, they have to reckon with the reality of what's happening there. Right. Like, it's not like, it's not like Seattle where it's like, yeah, black people do live there, but it's largely kind of in the margins or for, for lack of a better term under, under, under different circumstances than the like white counterparts in a lot of ways. And, you know, until, until a team like that says, hey, look, here's this brilliant young mind who loves baseball, like, doesn't matter what color they are. I mean, it matters for representation, but it doesn't matter in terms of who we're hiring. We're going to give this person an opportunity to learn. And then also, like you said, fail and figure it out. I think there would be so many more people getting opportunities if, you know, it wasn't one and done across the board. So, no, that's an absolutely excellent point. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, my last question then is going to be back to sort of the general state of the Mariners. Uh, I just want to know how you're feeling about the team moving forward. Uh, obviously, we just got the news that Kyle Lewis was the unanimous rookie of the year, which is great. And we hear everything about the young prospects coming up. But uh, where are you at heading into 2021, which is just another way of asking, do we trust Jerry Depoto? So it, it's to to go back to the last part of the conversation a little bit. It's so, it's so amazing that the Mariners have like the blackest team in baseball. Um, Oh, I know it was such a breath of fresh air watching this year. And like knowing that when all the social justice stuff was coming up, like, okay, the Mariners are the most uniquely qualified team to handle this. I Mm -hmm. love that. And I thought they did a really good job with it too. Um, I, so this is where I show I'm not as good a fan as I used to be. I, um, I'm like kind of, 
I'm nowhere near as aware of like the farm system and what we have coming. I know that there are, I know that Jerry has built up some of it, but I also know that, you know, with all the, with all the deals he's made in his short tenure, like there are guys who have gone that might turn out good other places. And, you know, like, I don't think we'll see another Chris Taylor, for example, but like you could see somebody kind of leave and then end up being a contributor elsewhere to a pretty decent team. Um, so I, I kind of watch now more so like, I don't want to say casually cause it's not casual. Like I'm still pretty involved and pretty informed, but like, I don't really think about the future too much. Um, it wasn't until the season actually started that I thought, you know, Hey, maybe this team can actually make the playoffs and not because they're any good, but because it's just a weird, wacky year. And I watched that whole season just kind of like, what if, what if, and then, you know, they had that last little run before, um, uh, before the losing streak and then getting mathematically eliminated. It was just like, that's actually a really fun way to watch. So, I'm not saying I don't have expectations. I doubt that next year will be the year, and I I think it's I think they're probably a couple years away. Um, um, but I, I mean, there's there's bright spots on the horizon. Um, what? How do you pronounce his last name, Jared? Kelnick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've I've read like I've I've only ever read his name. I've never actually heard anybody talking about him. Um, and like I hear plenty of good things about him. Um, the 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 baseball America and baseball prospectus write ups on on the future of the team seem bright, but it seems like I really shouldn't get invested too much until a couple of years from now. Well, but, that's the you know. Mariner fan in you also is like I don't want to get hurt again by by these failed prospects. Who I think to to Jerry's credit, I think these prospects are better than the ones that. Bavesi and Jack Sorensic acquired, but I totally get why any Mariner fan would be like, I'm not buying in until I see it at the big league level. Oh, oh, so, well, I, but let me be clear. I don't actually get hurt. I don't get hurt by them anymore. Um, they, they, the, the, the team can no longer hurt me. I think, I think the, I, I think what finally did it mentioning we've mentioned Zach Sorensic a couple times was the 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 uh oh god I'm friends with him on Facebook and I can't remember his name now Whoa. um but the the report on uh on how he kind of fudged his whole analytics um oh yeah background, yeah, yeah like that did it for me because it's like these MFers couldn't do the due diligence on <laughs> on that like that's the one thing they have to do a good job with and after that I'm just like well I'll still love him, you know. I cried when Ele- when uh, Edgar got into the Hall of Fame. That was like, that that was like, and I almost went. I had to work. I worked Sundays, um, so I couldn't go. And I was like, I almost was just like about to call in, but then it's like, well, everybody will know where I went because I'll have to take pictures and like do all this stuff. But yeah. uh yeah, like I I I don't get hurt by the team anymore. It's uh they're they're like you. It's same with the. I guess all Seattle sports, like none of them hurt me anymore. The, the Sonics are dead, so you can't hurt me there. The Seahawks lost the Super Bowl. They should have won. So like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think that's a pretty healthy relationship. Like it doesn't do anyone any good to like 
lose your mind over every single thing that happens. Looking at you, most Seahawks fans who <laughs> act like the sky is falling when the team loses one game. Uh, that is how I, that's to me is the separator between like, are you a Mariners fan first or a Seahawks fan first? Is how do you react to one loss? Because for Mariners fans, it's like, whatever, get them tomorrow, you know? But for the Seahawks fan, and obviously I understand the difference in schedules. Like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. obviously. But like, there is definitely like a ingrained, uh, mindset that surrounds losing that I feel like is very different between Mariner fans and the 12th man. Well, I would say, I would say the one thing with that is baseball is kind of random. Baseball works itself out and like schedule as well. But when the Seahawks lose, it's always like, you're like, that was such a winnable game. Like it, it's, it's just one of those things you're just like they didn't have to lose. It's it's one thing. And that's the that's the the beauty of Russell Wilson. I think he's only been in like one or two games where he, the the game wasn't within one score in the fourth quarter. Like you you he they play close games and they're always competitive. But then you know it's like last year when they lost to the Ravens. It's like they didn't have to lose that game. Like. And it was fine that they lost because they ended up like, well, I guess maybe it wasn't because if they would have, <laughs> they, they might have ended up with the winning the division otherwise. But regardless, like that, that, you know, it's, it's just like that, that, that the fact that like, it's just, it's always like one player, one call or one decision. That's, I, I understand the frustration with the 12th men. I just think the, 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 the. I think that's that's a totally different conversation, you know. A, a, I right. all the way up through all the way up through high school, uh, when I when when we moved to um, when we moved to Kentucky, I did not know any Seahawks fans. Like, and granted, that's a small sample size; it's kind of anecdotal. But people didn't really like the Seahawks before. These are Johnny Come Latelys who've never really, you know, been a fan of a bad team. I remember yeah. like staking my hopes to rick meyer when he when he got drafted and you know reading special sections in the tacoma news tribune and the seattle times and like getting amped up and then having those hopes crushed or when brian blades was on trial for manslaughter or you know there's so many things and it's like now it's just all about football and that's all they care about and it's just like yeah no you need to like there's a similar experience to go through with those teams so yeah and I will admit, like I'm fully Mariners since day one, obviously. But for football, I was I did not care about the Seahawks when I was a kid. I actually remember being a like very very low key Carolina Panthers fan because they were good at that time. Like the Jake Delhomme, like Stephen Davis, Deshaun Foster team was like very important to me, and I was crushed when they lost that Super Bowl. But I just remember thinking like, oh, they have cool uniforms. Like they were the fun expansion team. I wanted them to beat the Patriots. Like that was my team for a little bit. And then when the Seahawks had their 05 run to the Super Bowl, I was like, okay, now I'm in. Now I'll be a Seahawks fan. But I was like totally one of those Johnny Come Latelys where I did not care about the Seahawks when I was a really little kid because they were not relevant. And like I wanted my sports teams to be relevant, like the Mariners were. Oh, no. Such a weird sentence now. No, I totally understand it. I totally understand it. And speaking of that 05, that 05 run, like I literally did not watch football the next year because of how badly officiated that Super Bowl was. I don't understand. I do not understand like how a quarterback makes a tackle and they call it clipping. I, it does not make sense to me. And like I'll forever be mad about that. And no one cares because people are like, well, the Steelers are a better franchise overall. They've got six Super Bowls. And it's like, 
you do realize like that the Seahawks are like so irrelevant and almost and have a legitimate case to have been three time Super Bowl champions, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. It all started with that PI on your guy Daryl Jackson in the back of the end zone. I remember that vividly thinking, okay, this is not gonna go our way if they're calling that. And the rest is very, very sad history. That that actually came up on uh what, what what did that come up on? Mina Kimes was talking about it either on on around the horn or um or uh, highly questionable, and she was like, she said the exact same or something to that effect, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, like it's a uh, it's tough because no one cares. I I, I, I if you want to go back further, like. Curtis Martin never scored. I'm sure you probably don't remember that, but the Seahawks should have made the AFC, uh, yeah, the AFC championship in uh, 99. And Curtis Martin, like, was clearly did not like break the plane, and they gave him a touchdown anyway. Oh, it's so frustrating being a Seahawks fan. Like, I that's a whole nother level, but I'm sure you don't want to get into that today. <laughs> no, we'll bring you back for maybe field goals. We'll hit you up to do a Seahawks podcast, but uh, we have definitely talked enough about the Seahawks for today. Um, Wesley, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to shout out uh, yourself, plug anything you want, direct people to your presence on the internet, whatever you want to do. The floor is yours. Um. Okay. Cool. Well, I would just you know thank thanks for having me. Like I really appreciate it. Like this is like the highlight of my week. Like I've had little things that have kind of gotten me through election season. I work in state politics in Pennsylvania, and like. Things have been really, really stressful, and everybody, I'm sure, is aware of what's happening in what's happening nationally um, and how Pennsylvania factors into that. So it's been very stressful the past like few months. And like when you hit me up to do this, I was like, oh my god, this is like a lifesaver because a it got me thinking about the Mariners, happier times, and s- stories I wanted to tell. Like so, that was great. Um, I'm on Twitter. That's usually where you see my fun things if i'm in the mood like i actually sat through and live tweeted an entire sonic or seahawks game the other day i normally don't do that um sir wesley the first um and that's generally where you can connect with me and i love talking baseball with mariners fans like there's that level of commiseration that we all can relate to and it's it's a ton of fun and um you know i again I, i really appreciate it um Really appreciate you having me on and giving me this floor. Like, it was wonderful. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you for doing it. Uh, I would highly recommend following Wesley on Twitter. That's how I became aware of him and discovered that he was a Mariner fan working in state politics in Pennsylvania, which is what led me to be like, oh, this would be a very lively, interesting conversation. And I was proven correct. So thank you again. Uh, Thank you, everyone who listened. Please subscribe to this podcast if you feel so inclined and give us a nice rating on iTunes. Uh, We'll be back probably next week. Who knows? We have a very sporadic schedule here, but hopefully with more of these conversations as well as some stuff about the Mariners offseason because I feel like it's that time of year where Jerry Depoto is coming out of hibernation and he will make a trade or a free agent signing or something. So uh, stick around for that and thanks for listening. Goodbye. You want that over there? You want that over there? Got you. I was up late night balling. Up hundreds by the thousand. I was up late night balling. Count up hundreds by the thousand. I was up late night balling. Count up hundreds by the thousand.